So landing the impossible. We're on part three today. So part one, uh, I believe we spoke. Next slide for me there, John. On the, the first week, we spoke about spotting the opportunity. And uh, in order to land the impossible, you've got to spot an opportunity to land an impossible. Uh, week two, we spoke about mastering the internal conversation between faith and fear. Yeah. So, okay, you've seen the opportunity. Now you've got to deal with that internal conversation that says, no, don't do it. Or step out and do it. And we've got to master that and let, ha- uh, let faith have the final yeah. word in the internal conversation that goes on within us, yeah? And today, I want to speak about number three. And if we're going to land the impossible, we've got to take the risk. You are sat in a very risk-assessed environment. Did you know that? (laughs) Everything about this room, including the seat that you're sat on, at some point or another has been risk-assessed for your safety. You should give us a clap for that. We look after you. We look after you. Every electronic piece of equipment in this room, as far as I'm aware, <laughs> at least, has been pat-tested for your safety. Everything in this room is risk assessed. In fact, there are some people in this room who love risk assessments. They're the strange ones in the room, I know. They're the strange ones. No, we, we have people that are committed to health and safety. That's a good thing, isn't it? But I wonder if it's gone too far. I was reading some stories of where risk assessments have gone just a little bit too far. Are you ready? Here we go. Just a little bit too far. So, some schools now, you may have heard some of this in the news, some schools have banned skipping. No longer can children merrily skip through the playground. Health and safety. No skipping allowed. You probably know this one. This was in the news either last year or the year before. Schools have banned conkers. Yeah. No conkers anymore. Here, here, uh, this one's probably fair enough. This one's probably fair enough, but, but wasn't the case when I was at school. They've banned climbing trees. I know. Here's, here's the worst one. So a school recently banned balloons in case someone has a latex allergy. No balloons. Andy's nodding his head. Absolutely, so they should. Health and safety. Is that right? There you go. See, I'd never even heard of that. Okay. There's always one. So that one has spoiled it for all of us. Marks and Spencers were in the news recently because they ID'd a 34-year-old male who was attempting to buy some Christmas crackers. And the reason given, the reason given was because there's a rule in their health and safety code of conduct not to sell explosives to under 18s. Another story of uh, some staff at a railway station, this may not surprise you, staff at a railway station refused to help a young mum carry her baby's pushchair and lift it onto the train because they, quote, weren't insured. One company banned a deaf worker from using the tap to get water for his guide dog in case germs spread around the office. This is health and safety. A museum offering birthday parties will give you a cake, but you're not allowed candles on it. A park in Kent 
has banned children under 10 from going on swings. And get this, and they've banned parents from pushing swings. What is the world coming to? Is, has it gone mad? They are risk assessing the fun out of life. They're risk assessing the adventure out of life. You can't push a swing. Is unbelievable. But this is the world we live in. We live in a very risk adverse society. Did you know that? We live in a risk adverse society. We are raising a generation of children, mine included, that without risk will will experience some level of softness, I think, towards challenge and pain and difficulty because we live in such a risk-adverse society. Now, some of it is wise. Some of it is good. But you and I live in a very risk-conscious society. I would say maybe we live in a kind of bubble wrap environment where we're trying to make everything as safe as possible for everybody. But maybe that's not always the best thing. On the subject of landing the impossible, you see, landing the impossible will always require at some point that we take a risk. It will require that at some point we step out and do something that could go horribly wrong. But our society is not producing risk takers. Our culture is not producing people that are willing to face something going wrong. Our society is not producing people that are a little bit adventurous because we love safety. We love the safety of the harbor rather than the waves of the ocean seas, the adventurers of the medieval ages that would, would, would sail to the horizon, even if that meant they would drop off the end of the earth if it was flat. No, 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 no. Uh, one of the things I loved on my trip to Zimbabwe, it was wonderfully refreshing, actually, was a trip to the Victoria Falls. And at the Victoria Falls, you've got to imagine, if you've not been there, it's a little bit like the Grand Canyon, but with water, crashing over the edge, okay? It's huge. And you can walk right up to the edge of a cliff and look over, and it is, oh, hundreds, maybe thousands of feet. I don't know how high it is, but it is. it makes you dizzy when you look over the edge. And you and your three-year-old can walk right up to the edge of that and look over the edge. It's, there is zero health and safety. Like they're the other extreme, Right? That in England, you wouldn't be able to get probably within a mile of the edge of that cliff. You know what I'm saying? In England, that would be barriered off. There'd be barbed wire, and you'd have to watch it on a video in some room back there. <laughs> Just so that you're safe. Safety gone. A little extreme. Landing the impossible usually requires great risk. Uh, Pastor Simon often says this. On a tree, the fruit is always at the end of the branch. It's not on the tree trunk. It doesn't grow in the, in the middle of the tree where it's safe. The fruit's always on the end of the branch, right? To get the fruit, you've got to go to the end of the branch. It's risky. It's risky there. I've, I've learned that we can, you know, we can opt for a high-risk, high-pain, high-impact life, or a low-risk, Low pain, low impact life. Let me say that again. We can opt for a high risk, high pain, high impact life. Or a low risk, low pain, low impact life. Did you get that? 
Like we could, we, that's our choice. And, and many people in our society, we're conditioned, I think, this way, to opt for low risk, low pain, but the results, low impact. And Jesus calls us to a life of faith, which is often high risk and high pain, but the impact is high. We get to choose the life we live. We get to choose, even as Christians, which path to opt. You see, I think that there are two essentially big questions when it comes to faith. Two big questions. The first one, the one we know the best, is this. What can God do for you? And that's a big question of faith, isn't it? What will God do for you? And if you have faith, what will God do for you? That's the first big question. But the second big question is this. What can you do for God? That's also a big faith question. What can God do for you? That's a faith question. What can you do for God? That's a faith question. And what happens in Western society, particularly within the church in the West, is we major on question number one. What can God do for you? We major it. We have books on it. We teach it, preach it like crazy. It's all about what, if you just have faith, God will do this for you. And that's not untrue. That's good. But when it's out of balance with this, what will you do for God? Like faith lives there too. That's faith too. In fact, if you want to, that in, in the Bible, you go to Hebrews chapter 11, which is called the faith chapter, or some people call it like the hall of faith. Uh, it is a place where many individuals express great faith in God, and all of them were to do with question number two, what can you do for God? None of them were to do with what can God do for you? And that's called the faith chapter. The faith chapter is all about people that went to the edge of the branch, stepped out of the comfort zone, didn't live a risk-assessed life, but took the risk, did something crazy, and had a high impact. Many of them also experienced high pain, discomfort, challenges. Hebrews doesn't shy away from or pull back from this idea that the life of faith It's costly and painful at times and difficult at times. It won't always be fun and games. It will sometimes hurt. And yet the impact and the breakthrough that comes as a result of living a life of risk-taking faith creates great impact in the world. We won't get great impact cheaply. Got to take a risk. Got to step out. Got to embrace the fact that life hurts. So if what you're after is a cozy, comfortable Christianity, you can opt for a low-pain, low-risk version. You can opt for that, and you are welcome. But it will be a low impact. It will be low impact. But the high-risk, high-pain, high-impact life, wow, that's where the fruit is. That's where the fruit is. There's a great Bible story. I'm going to read it now. A guy called Jonathan. Here's a high-risk moment. Are you ready for it? One day, Jonathan said to his armor-bearer, Come on, let's go over to where the Philistines have their outpost. But Jonathan did not tell his father, that was Saul the king, what he was doing. Meanwhile, Saul and his 600 men were camped on the outskirts of Gibeah around the pomegranate tree at Migron. No one realized that Jonathan had left the Israelite camp to reach the Philistine outpost. Jonathan had to go down between two rocky cliffs that were called Bozes and Senna. 
The cliff on the north was in front of Michmash, and the one on the south was in front of Geba. Let's go across to the outpost of those pagans, Jonathan said to his armor bearer. Perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many or only a few. Do what you think is best, the armor bearer replied. I'm with you completely, whatever you decide. All right then, Jonathan told him, we will cross over and let them see us. If they say to us, stay where you are or we'll kill you, then we will stop and not go up to them. But if they say, come on up and fight, then we will go up. That will be the Lord's sign that he will help us defeat them. When the Philistines saw them come in, they shouted, look, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes. Then the men from the outpost shouted to Jonathan, come on up here and we'll teach you a lesson. Come on, climb right behind me. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, for the Lord will help us defeat them. Come on, climb right behind me, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, for the Lord will help us defeat them. I just did that, didn't I? So, just in case you didn't hear it the first time. So, they climbed up using both hands and feet, and the Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer. They killed those who, his armor bearer killed those who came behind them. They killed some 20 men in all, and their bodies were scattered over about half an acre. Suddenly, panic broke out in the Philistine army, both in the camp and in the field, including even the outposts and raiding parties. And just then, an earthquake struck, and everyone was terrified. This is a story where Jonathan lands an impossible. Notice in the first part of that story, Jonathan sees an opportunity, masters the internal conversation, and decides, I'm going to take a risk. But the first thing he does, he doesn't tell his father. Do you notice that? He didn't tell his father, Saul. He didn't go to the Ustia army and say, I've got a great idea, guys. We're going to go over and challenge this outpost. He didn't go to Saul for a reason. There's a reason that's included in this story. There's a reason Jonathan didn't tell him. And the reason is this. The reason is that Saul and his army, well, they were a little bit health and safety conscious. Some would say too health and safety conscious. Some would say, and the Philistines would say, hiding in their holes like cowards. That's what the, the Philistines said. They're, they're hiding in their holes. They're health and safety first. Just, just think about this. this they, they've got form for this. David and Goliath, the, the, the Israelites and Saul are on one side, and they're happy to get up every day and go and stand on the hill opposite the Philistines and shout at them and then go back into their tents and not have a fight. Because they were really brave in the crowd, but when it came to actually doing something about it, they were actually paralyzed by fear. They had plenty of people risk assessing that battle. They had plenty of people going, well, that's not safe. They had plenty of people saying, I don't think we can, I don't think we'll win if we step out onto the battlefield. And so what you've got is this peculiar situation where the Philistines and the Israelites, they've just got camps everywhere, but no one's actually doing anything. And Jonathan is like, I've had enough of this status quo. I'm going to break through, and I'm going to do something that changes the status quo. Yeah, but if I, know, I know if I go and talk to Saul, and I know if I go and speak to his men, they'll risk assess this thing. And they'll never let me go. Are you following me? 
They're so health and safety conscious, they're never going to buy me and me armor bearer going and taking them on alone. They're just not going to go with that. So I'm just going to have to do this and say sorry after. Sometimes you must be brave with the few because most won't go there with you. Sometimes you just have to be brave with a few. Not everyone will go with you. Not everyone will say yes to your dream. Not everyone will say yes to the challenge that's before you. And sometimes you have to just go and prove God and do it anyway. And do it with a few. I say go and be brave and say sorry after. Now here's the thing. Jonathan had enough faith to believe God could do something if he stepped out into the vulnerable place and just listened to God. He had enough faith to go, I think God could do this, you know. I think God, if God, if God got on our side, I think God could do this. To take a risk requires a little trust in God. It does. It requires you to go, I think God's big enough, you know. Actually, to, to take any kind of risk for God, you've got to go, yeah, could God do this? Yeah, yeah, he could do this. And, and this is where Jonathan was at. i got enough faith to think, if I, if I step out and listen, God might just do something. I love that about Jonathan. Jonathan then got a revelation. He got a go from God. He got a green light, didn't he? He, he, he kind of set up this kind of test. If they say this, we won't go. If they say this, then that'll be God's sign, yeah? And they said that, and he's like, God said yes. He's given us the green light. And off they went into battle. This is what I love about this. Jonathan knew that his health and safety were better placed in God's hands than in the hands of the fearful. His health and safety were in God's hands, not the hands of the fearful. Any risk we take for God, any time we step out for God in anything, do you know your health and safety is in his hands? Yeah, right. It is. He's with us. He's looking after you. When you take a risk on a revelation from God, the impact will always be larger than you can imagine. You know, they only fought about 20 men. And that's bad enough. That's big enough, isn't it? But in reality, the Philistine army was far, far greater. And Jonathan beat 20 men. But the impact was the whole army and even other outposts were getting the message, stuff's kicking off. And they panicked, they were terrified, and the breakthrough that just those 20 men achieved was far bigger than Jonathan could have asked or imagined. Sometimes your breakthrough might seem small, but the impact is always larger than you know. Your small inroads is forging a motorway of breakthrough. And that's what happened in this story. One man's risk, one man's advance, created far greater impact than you could have imagined. So what is the risk before you? Do you want to land an impossible? Is God asking you to do something that's risky? Scary. Might go wrong. Might mean you fall on your face. Might mean you get to the end of the branch and the branch breaks. Might cause some pain. But it's God calling you. Take a, take a bit more of a risk. 
Don't just live in the safety of the harbour here, singing songs to me all day. Would you step out and do something that makes a difference? Maybe God said, have that conversation with that friend about me. That's risky. They might not like me. They might say, oh, you're one of those. But maybe that small inroads may lead to an impact far bigger than you could imagine. Maybe there's people in that family God has called to himself. Maybe God's called you to take on a ministry, a new level of leadership or an experience of serving that you've never thought you could do before. Maybe it's a bit beyond you. Maybe he's just calling you to join a church team or a community team. Maybe he's calling you to apply for a different job or tell a person about a dream he's given you. Maybe God's called you to give a generous gift and you're like, oh, that's risky. Maybe he's called you to go on a missions trip and you're like, oh. The fruit is at the end of the branch. There's usually a risk before there's an impossible. There's usually a stepping out moment of faith before we see a breakthrough. Usually the impossible does not land on us. The impossible does not land on us. We got to go get it. We got to take a risk. We've got to be like Jonathan. Here's a guide to risk-taking. Number one, ask the most important question, not just the obvious question. The obvious question is, what could go wrong? The most important question is, what could go right? See, most of us are well-versed in the first question. Oh, but if I did that, what could go wrong? And we can come up with a list of answers of what could go wrong if we did that. But what could go right? There's this great tool called the six hats. I don't know if you've heard of it. The six hats are some that businesses use and churches use them too in a team setting to try and come to a good decision on a particular project or idea. And so the six hats have six different colors and each color represents a way of approaching that idea. So the, the, the obvious hat in that is called the black hat and a black hat approach is it's to look at an idea and say, what's, what could go wrong with this? If, if we did this, what's everything bad about it? Okay, well, if we were to oppose this idea, what could go wrong? Oh, well, we, we might lose all the money, or it might take too long, or it might this or this or this. And, and what the black hat perspective does is the black hat perspective tries to think of what can go wrong. Then there's the yellow hat. And the person puts the yellow hat on and says, okay, you can only talk about everything that could go right with this idea. So the person who puts the yellow hat, that's like the sunshine hat. If we did this, oh, imagine this could happen. It could, if everything went right, the, the stocks will go up. The ideal work, we'll get breakthrough in the community. This will, we'll take on more staff. Blah, blah. And the, 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 the yellow hat goes, everything that could go right. There are some other hats as well. There's a red hat. What's your gut feeling about this? There's a white hat, pure stat statistics. That is, that's kind of how much will it cost? How long will it take? Da, 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 da. There's a green hat. Green hat's creative hat. What could, what could we create from this? And there's the blue hat, which is the kind of cool decision maker who is able to pull together all of those strands and make a decision. Now, the truth is, 
I am most naturally a black cat person. <laughs> Give me any idea and I will tear strips off of it. I will risk assess that thing to death. I will tell you why that will not work. That's my natural hat. I have to force my brain to put the yellow hat on and think differently. In church, imagine if all the leaders of this church only ever wore a black hat. We'd be like Saul in his army. We'd say all the right things, sing all the right things, and never do anything with it. God's calling some yellow hats to rise up. What could go right? Ask that question. What could go right if we did this? And sometimes take a risk and do something that's just a bit beyond and land an impossible. You will not land an impossible if all you ever wear is a black hat. You will not land an impossible if you black hat the life out of every idea. Because every now and then, one of those ideas would have been a God idea, not just a good idea. And you would have killed that one too. You can't kill every idea. Some of them will be from God. Usually the crazy ones. Usually the ones they say can't be done. Usually the ones that cost too much. Usually the ones you don't have enough people for. Usually the ones you don't have enough resource for. Usually the ones that involve walking on water or other such crazy things. Are the God ideas. Take a risk. Ask the most important question, not just the obvious question. What could go right? Number two, take an armor bearer with you. You may not have a crowd, but take a core friend or your core friends with you on that journey. If you're about to do something risky, send a text. Will you just pray for me? I'm about to step out in faith. Will you pray for me? I'm about to speak to that person about Jesus. Will you pray for me? I'm just about to make a big decision that's going to be a bit risky for me. Will you come with me on that journey and support me? And your armor bearer will say, if that's what God's leading you to do, I'm right behind you. And you'll have a core around you in that place of risk. Take an armor bearer with you. Jonathan did. Number three. Make failure your friend and don't give up. Make failure your friend and don't give up. We've only failed when we've given up. You don't fail when something crashes. You fail when you don't get back up again. And try and try and try again. Every other mistake is just a lesson. One day, you're going to hit it out of the park. I say it's better to try and fail than to never try. Better to have an adventure, take a risk... Go for it in faith and it fail than live a low pain, low risk, low impact life. So, don't ask just, what can God do for me? Ask, what can I do for God? Is there any risk in it? Take a step of faith. Jump out there. See what happens. Perhaps, was the language that Jonathan used, God might use your little step of faith your little risk to land an impossible that will create a story which will become a testimony which you'll share from this stage and inspire all the rest of us to do what is scaring us right now and step out in faith and do something again and land another impossible and another impossible. I guarantee we will not land the impossible without some level of risk. I've taken a few risks in my life, and I hope to take some more.
Some of them have worked. Some of them have failed dramatically. Some of them have hurt. And some of them are my proudest achievements. I determined not to, to be the truest me, which is a black hatter. I've determined to be a man of faith. I've determined to try and try again. I've determined not to let failure stop me. And hope, I hope that DNA, that idea, that spirit grabs a hold of you, grabs a hold of us. Kainsham, you guys, go, take a risk, say sorry afterwards. I'll forgive you. I will. Jesus might not, but I will. No, he will. Of course he will. Take a step of faith. This week, is there someone in your world that God's calling you to do something generous to, give a gift to, speak to, encourage, knock on the door, invite to a meal, take a risk? Do it this week. Tell a story next week. Never know what might happen. Just raise the level of spirituality in your conversations. Just raise the level. See what happens. Take a risk. Step out in faith. See what God might do with your small inroads. God might be creating a motorway of breakthrough like he did for Jonathan.